As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. Since the dawn of time, the greatest structures, monuments, and other impressive works of mankind have been celebrated as wonders of the world. And like the seas, days of the week, and deadly sins, there are always seven of them. In ancient times, the recognized wonders included hanging gardens, a couple of large statues, a great pyramid, and a tremendous lighthouse. A more modern list of wonders includes the Empire State Building, the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China. There have been other similar selections of natural phenomena, phenomenal engineering works, and so on. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? Well, that's the question I ask my guests in this podcast. And the guest I'm asking today is the comedian, actor, singer, song and scriptwriter and presenter, Ben Bailey-Smith, who first made his name as a rapper, though the name he made in the rapping world was Doc Brown. Either way, Doc or Ben was born and brought up in northwest London, He began studying drama at university, but halfway through his degree, switched to American history. On top of his music, rapping and comedy careers in recent years, he's appeared in a wide range of TV programs such as the sitcom Miranda, the coming-of-age comedy The Inbetweeners, the children's program The Four O'Clock Club, and the legal drama series The Split. So Ben, there's three or four different approaches to life as a performer. Would you say you're uncertain of the right path to take or just multi-talented? <laughs> I always find it funny that in introductions to me, Miranda is so often mentioned because it was my first ever appearance on television. And like a lot of people's first appearances, uh, I literally walk on. I think she was at uh, some kind of conference at a hotel or something. Uh, and I'm just a busboy. I walk on and say, call for you and then walk away. And that yeah. is literally it. So, you know, it's so funny when I hear in the intro, uh, starred in Miranda. And I'm thinking, yeah. what? I don't <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm, so, I'm um, sorry to fall into that trap. I don't think I said you starred in it, but I was trying to illustrate the, the range of different programs. The range, um, yes, so I'm, much I'm, appreciated. So in The Split, which is a more recent thing, that that wasn't a comedy. Mm. You were quite, I mean, relatively unpleasant person in that, whereas in sitcom... I was very unpleasant. <laughs> and um, uh, it, was, it was a very in, strangely freeing and enjoyable experience to be unpleasant. It, it made me realise that... Um, I think there might be something in every human being that just wants to just leave all airs and graces at the door and just be horrendous for for at least a day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you're nasty all the way through, but I suppose but I, <laughs> now I mentioned you got going in rap, and mm. there's a sort of an aggressive, uh, yeah. if that's the right word, side to rap, Definitely. you know, rap battles. You know, you're trying to put the other guy down. So have, have you always been a kind of tough, 
guy performer in that sense in in terms of performance yes but again it's like that's a release for me because i'm not a tough guy in real life you know i'd say um you know pretty introverted quite quiet um i'm more of a a, a sort of solo problem fixer than a confrontational presence um but performance especially stand up and rap gave me the freedom to sort of be in control and be powerful and and uh and yeah be aggressive because that's kind of there is an element of that in both of those mediums i think you have to have uh a little bit of combat in your spirit in order to deal with hecklers and 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 deal with difficult situations like in in rap the equivalent of a heckler would be uh, a rap battle but let's get on to your first wonder if if we may um I've got your list of wonders in front of me. I think the first one you were going to do was your dad, your father. Yeah, I feel like this is that was the he was the sort of first name on the team sheet, if you will. Um, and I'd been thinking about him quite a lot uh, at the time I, I got the call to, to 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 be on your show. So he he was like I say, the first name on the team sheet. Well, I think this is excellent because dads don't always get a good uh, rap, if I may use the, uh, that term in a different way, um, because, you know, the, the term dad jokes, dad dancing, yes, dad bods. Absolutely. And, and people often praise their mothers um, because, uh, we, we, you know, most of us are close to our mothers. But so it's good to have your father, your dad. Uh, so t- tell, tell me about him. If well, you t- yeah, a, a unique individual who lived three lives. And that, that's that. I think that's that's why he's a he's a wonder to me, because. I can't I can't quite get to grips with the lives he lived. I mean, by the time he was my age, he'd already lived two very, very full lives and was about to lead a, a, a third um, to, to, to break that so you down. You came along late in his life. Yeah, he was I, he was 52 when I was born. So, right. you know, by the time he was the age I am now, he still had another 10 years before he was gonna meet me um yes. so so when i say so when i say you've got different lives with rapping and comedy and acting on television that that's nothing compared to his his ver- variety absolutely of lives, nothing yeah. but i think it is it, there is a link there that i've i've not really felt for, thought too deeply about but there is some kind of link between my parents wildly different experiences and the different experiences that i sort of choose to have in my luxury privilege position so tell tell me about the three lives your father sure. had then. So what was his first well, life? He's a he's a southeast Londoner. Um, he grew up uh, in, in Croydon, and um, it, he was born in 1925, which is 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 difficult enough to get my head around. And then in '43, he was he was called up. He was enlisted. Um, he had to wait a little bit because uh, he went in. And he was a bit young at 17, and he had to wait a few months, but. Um, yeah, he, 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 he joined the army in 43, he had like a couple of weeks training in Suffolk. And the next thing you know, he was in Germany. Uh, and, um, he was, uh, involved in liberating Belsen. He was on King's Beach in Normandy on, on June 6th, 1944. Oh, right. At the start of that 77 day battle, which was an absolute, uh, well, S word show. Um, yes. uh, yeah. all of this as a very very young teenager and um, eventually about 33 days after the, the beaches he was um, 
he was hit by some shrapnel and and that's kind of what saved his life i mean a lot of people's lives were saved by being either badly or or nominally in, injured just to get out of there so so um, he came through the war in that way and i now i wouldn't normally categorize myself as the same generation as you but in this context i <laughs> yeah, i am yeah, because absolutely. i also have a father who fought in the war and there's obviously you don't wish that upon yourself but you you can't help but admire fighting in that particular war especially that 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 was such a uh, i suppose heroic is is a, is a good enough word isn't it it's a, yeah, a dramatic I mean, and heroic thing for them to have gone through absolutely and then for him to come home he he sort of he gave his medals away he gave his uniform to his mum um didn't attend any of the uh celebrations uh and then just totally compartmentalized it pocketed it and just never spoke of it again um so i didn't find out about his involvement until the 60th anniversary of D-Day in uh, 2004, when the British, British Legion were looking around for survivors to, to tell their stories and whatnot. Um, and uh, he sort of mentioned it <laughs> in passing. And he said, you know, I actually would like to get my medals reinstated and, uh, and, and get a bit of recognition. And, and, and my mind just boggled like hearing these stories about his time in the sixth assault regiment uh you know so that was his first life as a as a young man as a, a soldier fighting in one of the yeah. the great wars of all time yeah uh then he was i think married to somebody this is before yes. he married your mother your mother but he, he married somebody else and lived do, doing what what was his life? yeah yeah he was in bristol for a bit in the 50s and then and he got he got married he came back to london and um he had two kids, my other brother and sister, and um, he started dabbling in a bit of photography and ended up being a, 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 a photographer's assistant for a while. And he assisted David uh, David Bailey for a bit, so then got involved in all all sorts of shenanigans in in the late sixties. Um, that didn't last. He went into uh, um, uh, photographing items for the Littlewoods catalogue, <laughs> uh, uh, which is not quite as sexy. Uh, and that was around the time he met my mum in uh, in the early 70s. Right. Now, when he met my mum, he was 49 and she was 19. So that's another thing to sort of get your head around. Um, I think he, he, he might have told her he was a glamour photographer, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think we all know how glamorous the Littlewoods catalogue is. Um, well, you know, there, there, there are moments, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> there are union. I mean, that, that was a union. If you think about the time, how the UK was reacting to the West Indian diaspora um, and, and age difference. I mean, there's a generation between them. He's white, she's black, pretty fresh off the boat as well. She came to this country when she was... 16 so she's only been here for three years at this oh, right. stage they get together a couple years later they have my sister in, in 75 that's zadie smith and, the, um, the novelist yeah yeah so so what you're saying is that was like a recipe for not a disaster but an unlikely successful marriage you know an older yeah. white guy a young a black girl absolutely woman and when, when people say to me Oh, you know, how come you and Zadie have turned into these these artists? You know, were your parents artistic? Uh, I think about it and I think, well, not really, no, but their lives were so unique. 
um, and, and so full of stories that what else would we become other than storytellers of, 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 of some kind? But what, so just to give just a little picture of you uh, of, of growing up, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how unusual it is uh, to have one black parent, one white parent. It's certainly it's not unusual anymore. But what, what did that no. what did that cause comment uh, when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a Londoner. Yes. Clive, and 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 um, from not too far away from me, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was in Kilburn, and you know we think of Kilburn as being a very diverse, pre- pretty friendly place with the, yeah. all the Irish and and Caribbeans, and that element of it is absolutely true. But there was also a a lot of people who were struggling with the speed of which London was becoming more diverse. You know. And yeah, I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember people shouting horrific things in the street to our faces, you know, uh, abuse we'd get just on our, our estate sometimes, you know, it it was the, the early 80s. Because was, you were mixed race rather than... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that was a thing that really caused a, a, an additional friction mm. um, because... You know, if you walked uh, walked or hung around uh, Kilburn Square on a Saturday, it was a bit like uh, Speaker's Corner. You know, you'd always get, um, <laughs> you still do a little bit. Uh, you'd always get like very opinionated people either creating their own little protests or just doing speeches and just ho- holding a crowd with all sorts of uh, very strong opinions, shall we say. So we had like the Back to Africa guys. We had the NF Combat 18, you know. And and then the milder versions of both, you know, um, and one thing none of them liked was mixed race people, <laughs> because because of what we represented to them, you know. Yes, it's odd, isn't it? Uh, it's it's the thing you you might think. Well, that's the way forward to get rid of all these uh, difficulties yeah, if, if we absolutely. all mix up. But there are there are some people who sort of draw the line at that. They're tolerant about all, almost anything. But I mean, even if you remember that famous interview between uh, Michael Parkinson and Muhammad Ali. He, of course, well, the, yeah. He sort of said, "Oh well, you know, he's obviously getting on very well with all sorts of people." So no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't intermarry. You should keep apart. Mm. And you know, Parky didn't know really what to do with that as a as a concept coming from Muhammad Ali. It was a, it was astonishing. Yeah, I, I seem to remember him saying something along the lines of, "So would you say that I am a, a devil, a white devil?" Yeah. And and it was one of my favorite questions because you could see how much Ali liked Parkinson. Yes. You know. And and that 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 throws you, you know. If if you've got any prejudices, when you meet the thing that you're either scared of or claim to hate, and you actually sort of like them, it's it's the first thing that throws your whole thinking. Um, and that's what we pride ourselves on as mixed race people, I think, because we are we are the physical manifestation of the conversation between black and white. You know, we we see ourselves as as uh, the ultimate positive like physical manifestation of equality whereas some people especially in the early 80s would look at us as the ultimate threat the pollution of their bloodline you know ridiculous ideas like that from from black and white sides so that was definitely an element but um you know thanks to one of my other wonders london uh, i've made it you know a bit of a superpower if anything well, a visitor coming to Kilburn, there's plenty places to shop, there's plenty places to eat, there's a park they can come and relax and chill. 
you know so there's a lot of lovely people as well if you need any help you could just ask someone and they'll be more than happy to help you and direct you in the right way so it's a nice atmosphere up here all right well you've uh, you've, you've mentioned your your next wonder is london so we might let's take that conversation into that so when you say london are you in including everything you know eight nine million people greater london absolutely your little bit of london or central London. absolutely all of it all of it i i I was i was listening to suggs the other day talking about uh bringing some italian friends over and meeting them at the airport and they were driving around for hours (laughs) and the italians kept saying to him sorry excuse me is this still london he was like yep yep it's it's still london but that's how i feel it is sprawling and you know there's still parts of it that I really, I get lost. I think probably the part I know the least is that like the Far East, that sounds quite strange to say, but you know, like sort of beyond Limehouse and and, and that sort of side of, of town and deepest, darkest Southwest, I'm not good with, but West, North and Southeast, where both of my parents uh, uh, grew up, I'm, I'm good with pretty much. And, and that kind of scope really helps with understanding the size of this thing. So when you're okay with that, is that because you 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 know people there, you've performed there, you've travelled around there, or do you, or uh, you? Well, the the southeast thing is a family connection first. My dad was uh, Croydon, my mum was um, uh, Lewisham and Broccoli, uh, and I still have lots and lots of family down there. All my Jamaican families down around Lewisham, Broccoli, Hillyfields, Deptford, Catford. Um, and I'm also a Crystal Palace fan because of that. So, oh, that makes that makes sense. I was wondering why that would, would be, since you come yeah, from, as you say, yeah. Kilburn or Wilsdon, as a Kilburn or, boy, that that area. You should really be um, Queens Park Rangers or Chelsea or something awful like that. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, Palace. when I was when I when I in the '90s, anyone I knew once Arsenal won the league, your lot in '89, uh, <laughs> spectacularly. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody would just become an Arsenal fan. It didn't matter what part of London you were from. If you were from London, you could claim Arsenal. And, <laughs> and I think your fan base grew I know. exponentially during the 90s. And then obviously by the end of the 90s. Maybe it's contracting a bit now. <laughs> but people come out of the woodwork, don't they? Suddenly people have never mentioned football before suddenly say, Oh yeah, I'm a Leicester City supporter. Are you? I yeah. <laughs> you never imagined that my entire life. Pathetic. <laughs> Pathetic. Um, so it's all Chelsea now, and and, um, and obviously Manchester City, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I used to always love taking the Mickey out of Arsenal, but seeing them become a mid-table <laughs> team is actually find it a little bit sad stop, stop it can we keep this conversation concentrating <laughs> on your wonders so, so london home of the mighty arsenal and several other other football clubs yeah and the mighty palace now we're not making this for the bbc but i do a lot for the bbc and if i if i were uh, with my hat, hat wearing my bbc hat i think i'd be compelled to say yes we mustn't forget the rest of the country oh, we mustn't forget yeah the rest of the country <laughs> mustn't forget and and it's like no people do worry. Love... no people do worry because L- london is the center of politics of finance of theater of the entertainment industry of the advertising of lo- lots and lots of and the, so uh, england united kingdom is arguably over concentrated on london do 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 you ever worry about that or or not care? absolutely absolutely i do and you know, I, I doing the job that I do and have done, you know, stand up. I traveled the whole of the UK a, a hundred times over 
a thousand times over, gone so many different places and spent so much time in each. And I'm not a London snob. That's the key thing. I love so many other cities in the UK. Man- Manchester is undoubtedly my second home. I've spent a lot of time working and living up there. Um, and uh, everywhere I go, there's somebody who who puts down London intensely. And, and I get it. I really do. I really do. But the the idea of us being the center of everything is, has been mixed with our attitude. So we are technically the center of everything because of parliament, because of everything you just listed. But that doesn't mean that Londoners feel they are the center of the world. You know, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, I, 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 I'm a Londoner before I'm British. No, I feel I am a British person. Like I, I, I'm black British. I, just, I love being from London. But I love it because I feel that it makes me outward looking, not inward looking. Because when I was 12, I prided myself on being able to swear in, in up to 20, 25 different languages just from going to school in Brent, right. you know. <laughs> uh, and and I, if I ever had a snobbery, it was that in my 20s, I used to think, why do I need to travel? You know, I've got every race and every language and every food every culture under the sun right here on my doorstep. It wasn't until I started doing stand-up that I realized how important travel is to open the mind. But I really feel that London prepared me for the world, not not just to go, well, I'm from London, I don't need any of you. It, think, it did the opposite. It, I think possibly the rest of the country has a sort of love-hate relationship with London. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's that London on, oh, I don't want to go there, it's too crowded, too expensive. And yet I do want to go there because I, that's where... There's some excitement, there's some some action that I want to challenge myself against. Uh, but as you say, the the Londoners who just happen to live in London, it's all around them. But they're, they're, it's just part of their life. Um, yeah, that, that happens to have sort of superimposed on it in, in a strange way, uh, a, an international city and a and a national capital. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I I I just I just love it, and and it, you. It, you really struggle to get me to say too many bad words about it, especially, especially, especially in public, because I, I just think, listen, it's a state of mind. I get all the things that irritate people. I, I really do. And they do get me sometimes. But I also pride myself on knowing how to dodge certain irritating things about London. Like I don't walk down Oxford Street. I mean, I do now because it's so empty. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but, um, you know, outside of the pandemic years, um, I wouldn't walk down Oxford Street. I'd walk through Fitzrovia, parallel to Oxford Street, you know? Those little things, you know, the little turn-offs on the central line where you know how to avoid the mass crowds and, and, and traveling at, at different times, um, finding spots that nobody else knows about, you know? I used to sit for hours in St. Dunstan's in the east in the Christopher Wren uh, relic, the, the, the ruins of that church he built, um, which now is 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 a very popular place for for city guys to have their lunch and and even tourists. But you know, t- ten years ago, I would be I'd find myself in there on my own, a stone's throw from the Tower of London, where there's tens of thousands of tourists flying in and out, city boys and girls like buzzing back and forth around me, and I'd be sat on my own in between these four walls, in complete peace. You know. Like I could be on a village green in, in the Cotswolds, <laughs> you know? Change here for Bakerloo, Central Line. 
Uh, we've dealt with sort of personal things, your father, your home city, but uh, there's, a, there's a showbiz wonder, literally a wonder coming up. So can we go on to, on to him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A, a literal wonder. You know, I was thinking about like individuals who, uh, who, who I find wonderful or, or, or inspiring. And uh, I stopped the second I thought of Stevie. You know, obviously his his name popped into my head because of the uh, the the nominative determinism, shall we say? But, but I'm um, old enough to remember when we first came on the scene, and he he wasn't even just Stevie Wonder. He was little Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie Wonder. He was 11 years old. Yeah. And and when you bear in mind, like he's going to be 71 this year, so that was 60 years in in show business, and he's still not what I would describe as really old. You know, like when you think of someone who's had 60 years in show business, you expect them to be decrepit, you know, chair bound or bed bound, you know, uh, telling stories through someone else. Um, But Stevie is, I mean, he's still bringing out new, he had a a protest song with a bunch of very contemporary rappers uh, recently, um, sort of Black Lives Matter song. And, And you just think, I actually started thinking, Clive, it sounds so so ridiculous to say, but is Stevie a little bit underrated? I mean, he's the, the ages that he's gone through and, and, and the songs that he's put out, the endless Grammys and, and, and awards obviously would, would argue that he isn't underrated at all. But I just, I mean that in the sense that do we appreciate the fact that he's still around and still yeah. in relatively good health um, and, st- and still just an... Inc- an unbelievable master uh, with a Midas touch, you know, with incredible vision. Well, an unbelievable talent. And I mean, just just in case there's anybody who doesn't know anything about him, just so he, he came on the scene, he was blind, um, and but a musical genius from from the word go. Yeah, he, he actually was, he wasn't born blind, but he was born premature and, and, uh, a result of that is sometimes that the retinas detach. So that happened early on. And so he, he's never really known sight. But there's something about that, not that any of us are, are doctors or experts, but um, you, you just sense that there's something about his, his mind and the way his mind works without seeing but feeling. You know, they, they often talk about how other senses... Uh, come into play and perhaps become prominent or or stronger than uh, you know the average person who has all senses uh, available to them, and there's got to be a bit of that with, with with Stevie because some of the stuff that he has done, like when you listen to an album like Inner Visions or uh, uh, Secret Life, what is it called, The Secret Life of Plants, or is that a David Attenborough documentary? Maybe both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, Songs in the Key of Life as through well. Through the Secret Life of Plants. Through the yeah, Secret Life. Oh, that's, that's close. It. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there's songs on, on those albums that they're, they're so immediate in the way that they touch you, regardless of what genre of music you're into. You know, you put on uh, 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 Sir Duke, and, and those trumpets, and you can feel it all over. Play that. I mean, play that anywhere in any household with anyone that you're with. I, I, I just struggle to see anybody going, "Oh God, turn that off." Not Stevie. Come on. I remember thinking 
when I heard uh, guitars playing, um, it reminded me of butter. You know, and I think that was because I was, you know, there were like a lot of different jazz musicians that I heard. Um, my, I guess, first memory, I thought of, of even Wes Montgomery as I grew older to know that was him, was of that, of, of, like, of a warm kind of, you know, buttery kind of thing. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us on the Football Ramble as we explore the ridiculous world of football. We bring in-depth analysis of the biggest moments, like Bruno Fernandes' one-eyed penalties. Sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> obviously, like... with one eye open. <laughs> but if you have one eye closed, you know your perception. So imagine yeah. if you tried the dink and it just like went like two feet in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekday, we cover the good, the bad, and the Newcastle. Although Shelby wasn't surprised either. He said the way they play isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't fucking beat him, could you? Could Shelby be the mole? Didn't Bruce accuse the mole of treason? <laughs> to the Geordie Nation. Yeah. Putting the football world to rights. If you want to put a message on a T-shirt under your shirt, slag it off your mouth. Yeah. That is an absolute minefield in the dressing room. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, lads, I'll put it in another language. Do you know how many languages that man speaks? Not with Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I won't with Roy. We're here with the biggest stories from the sport we love, and we want you to get involved too. Search the Football Ramble on your favourite podcast player to listen now. This was a Stakhanov production. All right, so that's that's your third wonder. What's your fourth wonder? Well, this is a strange one. I, I put it in there because I thought it might spark an interesting uh, conversation. Um, uh, my, my, my fourth wonder is prayer. And, and uh, 
I'm not a religious person, so I should, that's that's the the main caveat I should put at the at the top of this. Um, well, that's it, that's already intriguing that you you put prayer in without being religious. Yeah, so it's quite a weird thing, right? Who do you pray to then? Well, this is the thing. So uh, my wife is is religious, uh, a church Church of England, and I go to church with her, and that's where I first discovered prayer. Um, but at the same time, I felt uncomfortable praying to a god that i didn't have a relationship with as such or i wasn't sure existed i mean i was raised an atheist um by my parents uh and quite a strict one via my mum because she was raised as a jehovah's witness and really rebelled against it and uh you know she was the type of atheist who had us um telling witnesses to do one when when they knocked on the on the door you know shouting down get rid of him uh, all right so uh, you mentioned your father had two uh, three lives but uh, so your mother in that sense had two lives if she was brought up as a jehovah's witness yeah and then, she had a couple herself you know that's another story and she was a jehovah's hostile witness uh, later <laughs> on <laughs> yeah we'll get into a bit more of that in a bit actually um one of the other wonders but um yeah uh I was, I was, I, I'm sure everybody has this, you know, when you go to church or you're around people in in a, in a spiritual setting and and people start praying, you know, if if you're not that way inclined, there is that sort of fast, odd fascination where you might open one eye and just look at everybody in this sort of reverent moment, thinking, "Ooh, what's all this about?" And it wasn't that, it wasn't that I was jealous of their faith or anything like that, but I was just intrigued. And then it, around 2017. I think it was, uh, I'd already been encouraged to meditate when I, I'd been doing therapy and whatnot. Uh, and I, I really struggled to to sit and do nothing with meditation. But when I started doing yoga, yoga encouraged me to set an intention for my day, so to speak. So say out loud uh, something that you'd like to achieve that day. And I remember doing it and thinking, this is not a million miles away from prayer. And then when I linked yoga to therapy and and realized that saying my problems out loud had an incredible, incredible healing effect and a, pos- a positive uh, a, a effect on me and, and, and simplified my problems as well. Like saying your problems out loud often simplifies them. If you say, say your 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 problem to your friend they might say oh yeah that's happened to me you know and and it immediately <laughs> makes it a little more manageable so so if you're if you're if you're a believer in god uh, a prayer you might say out loud or you may say it to yourself or say it to him exactly or, uh, so let's say please make me uh, more tolerant of people around me or please make make my health better or what yeah, or, or, say, or you know, you're not be kind to my mother or whatever or it is even even more so you're not asking you're not pleading you're actually just stating the way that you feel or stating what your issue might be uh, or, or just being grateful you know and and I've found that incredibly useful so I will say out loud to whoever you know uh is up there <laughs> it's, it's not really to a specific god it's the shall we say the god of my understanding so that I I believe that there is a, a power higher than me but not in a, a kooky way. I, I like sometimes it snows, and I think that is a power greater than me. You know, nature itself. That that's what I mean. So I don't go, uh, you know, d- 
dear Mrs. Nature, here's what I feel today. It's not really like that. It's more of today, here are my anxieties. Here's what I'd like to achieve. And I vocalize it just like a prayer, exactly like a prayer. But you don't personalize it in the sense you don't have a, a, an old man with a white beard. Exactly. Or you say Dame Nature. There isn't a thing or an entity, but you're still using, interestingly, you're using the same device for concentrating the mind and the spirit. Absolutely. And that is inspired by the Church of England therapy and yoga combined, if you see what I mean. Only thing which bring inner peace is my own inner value, compassion, and spirit of forgiveness, and also realistic attitude. These things brings inner comfort, clear. All right, let's go to another part of the world for your next wonder. Um, but I suspect there's a family connection, but uh, what do I know? So this is a, a part of Jamaica. <laughs> yes, uh, a, a part of Jamaica that's little heard about, I would say, outside of Jamaica, you know, we're, especially, especially in this country where we have quite a, we have quite a special bond with Jamaica in, in the UK, like, like a lot of the world does. Jamaica, Ireland, there's some, some countries, aren't there, that sort of kind of love, there's a lo- like a loving nod to them, yeah. culturally speaking, in, in so many other countries. And Jamaica's one of those. But when we do that loving nod, we're usually thinking of Montego Bay or, 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 or Kingston or, you know. Um, or again, the music, all that. Absolutely, yeah. the music, uh, all that stuff. St. Elizabeth is on the southwest. It's a parish on the southwestern coast of, of, of Jamaica. That, I mean, when you first look at it, you'll think, am I in Cornwall or on, on the Scottish coast? It's, it's craggy, it's forest, it's full of forests. There's no beaches. It's just like jagged rocks and sheer cliff faces and really, really rough seas. You know, nothing like the North Coast where it's white sand and gentle uh, see-through water and all of that stuff. St. Elizabeth is rugged and the ground is, is, is red. The earth, the soil is, 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 is a deep, deep red. You walk there for a day and, and your shoes and socks are just completely, uh, completely changed colour. And that is uh it's very rural as well very very rural that's where my mum is from and right. um, i've been lucky enough to go there a few times the last time i went um i actually saw the exact spot where she was born um we went trekking around i mean we had to leave the car uh, at least an hour and a half before i got to the spot where she was born that's how rural we're talking is in a little village called dalton which is like a huge hill and a huge valley so loads of spots where if you walk through the bush t- two or three steps you could fall 150 feet you know it's, it's that kind of um dense uh landscape and she, my mom took me up to the top of this hill and i couldn't believe she could remember where she was going i genuinely thought we were lost but we found the foundations of uh this shack that she was born in um, off of this sort of dirt track, which was the high street through Dalton. And some of the houses that she remembered were still there with uh, cousins and family. Um, little kids were running up to us. And your your, your mother, who's, um, you know, given birth to you, 
Uh, your sister, Zadie Smith, who's a highly successful uh, novelist. I think you've got a brother as well in the music industry. Yep, do, yep. Does she uh, does she have to pinch herself and think, uh, how how, yeah. did, how did my children uh, become, how did I have English children, in a sense, yeah. who, uh, who've been Hon- so successful? Honestly, Clive, she talks about it all the time. And if, if I introduced her to you, she <laughs> would chew your ear off talking about how she came from this shack so, so it's, you know, if you've if you've ever known working class immigrants in London, it's a, there's a huge sense of pride that you can never sort of get over about your journey. You know, from the middle of air quotes nowhere to the center of air quotes the universe. You know, um, it's 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 a huge and profound journey for for, for first generation immigrants. And when they see their children growing up English or British, you know, that, that's a sense of wonder for them always. It, it, it never, ever changes. And, and for her, I think it stayed as fresh as ever because she's had a daughter that's written about the experience directly. And now my mum writes about that experience herself. So she, she, she'll never stop talking about it or discussing it. It's, it's, it's an endless fascination to her just as it is to me. Well, we're getting on to your next wonder, which, uh, let me say, is parenting. Uh, and I'm, I'm mentioning that because it sounds overall, looking you know, back to your previous generation, your current relationship and your current... So I'm getting a feeling that you're, you, you very much enjoy family life, but it may be the wonder of parenting is going to uh, explode that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought about it and I thought, is this a, is this a wonder or is it a nightmare? I'm not sure. It's... <laughs> It's the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, and it's ongoing. How many children have you got, and what age are they I now? I have two Let's... teenagers. I have two teenage girls. Um, and th- I, mean, I don't need to tell you. There's just sort of these levels to it, isn't there? Mm. Like, So you felt that huge sense of satisfaction when they first started sleeping through the night, and you started getting sleep again. You thought, I've cracked it. And then there's the next stage and the next stage and the next, like an endless video game that you just can't win. So let me just go over a couple of things there, because you mentioned in passing earlier on that unlike your father, who was parenting you and your immediate family when he was in his 50s, you you did your parenting in your 20s. Mm. Um, now, is that something you think is a it obviously just depends on the person but do you think that's yeah. good because you're you're now out of you know not particularly much older than your children you can perhaps relate to them a, a, a bit more than perhaps you would have been able to do with your father however much you respected him i would say and i'm not pushing this on anybody else but for me uh, just perfect it was really difficult at first because you know if you're in your mid-20s all your friends are going out having a good time and I did feel very isolated those first few years and I, and I found that a little bit depressing but it didn't last long you know and now my friends are having babies now and I 
<laughs> listen i go over and i say hello and I, I i stroke the baby's head and then uh me and my wife go out for cocktails <laughs> and uh, uh you know i still feel like a young man well, i am still a young man and um uh, I love the energy that I'm able to bring to my kids. But having children young, at, uh, doing the sort of work that you do, which is not, you know, definite and settled, you you never know with mm. with with music, comedy, acting. Absolutely, you, you had you had to be pretty brave. Is that the right word? You know, uh, to take on the responsibility of children at a young age with not a regular yeah. job, as it were. Yeah, I mean, even even deeper than that. I mean, when my first was born I was nowhere near show business I was I was a part-time youth worker so I was not earning uh much money at all oh, right. um and then it was actually uh my, my wife was pregnant with the second February 2008 when I stepped on stage for the first time so uh even when the second was born I was only just tentatively dipping my toe into show business or the idea of being an entertainer. It was a year after that that I started earning a living from it. So it was a huge risk for me to to go into show business with with two children already there. And how know? was your how was your wife with that? Did she was she say, "Hey, great, this is exciting," or she's saying, well, <laughs> <laughs> "Well, she is a teacher, so she's obviously very uh, logistically minded and." I was just amazed by how supportive she was from the start. She was just like, yeah, I mean, listen, you've always felt like this was your calling. Let's see what happens, you know, and and God bless her. She carried she carried us that first year, you know, I'm swanning around doing stand up gigs for 20 quid. Uh paying for hotel rooms 60 quid petrol 40 quid you know <laughs> i mean it was madness it was there was no business model there no business model whatsoever but it worked out it's amazing and was was she right it was always your dream i mentioned yeah, you absolutely. you did drama for a bit at university then um you know history american history but you did you want to step off you know step out of university and onto a stage but said well i better get an ordinary job or a, a job that's uh, not non-show busy uh, exactly from six years old I, I wanted to I wanted to be an entertainer of some kind I think I, my first thing was wanting to be an actor and uh university really killed that dream I like by the end of the first year I just completely gave up on it um I returned to university like you said and did American history but then you graduate as an American history graduate like what 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 do you do what <laughs> would you write <laughs> books on american history no i was never going to do that i was not really an academic so um i just went back to what i knew which was youth well you could have had a job in advertising or in some you know uh, yeah. writing copy or something i don't i don't know yeah i just i just sort of lost focus um and it was it was my kids that that brought that focus back if i'm honest it was my kids that really squared my mind like dude you either do this or you never do it now like this is the time uh and it really it really focused my mind and um i've, I've never looked back since and uh yeah i just feel so i feel super lucky but also i feel like i grafted super super hard uh and funnily enough a lot of people are put off having children or, or they they put off having kids themselves because they haven't quite got their life where they want it so they haven't got the house or they haven't got the spouse or they haven't got the job or they haven't got the money uh, i would say like 
funnily enough, it might be having a kid that gets you all those things that makes all those things concrete because you're left with very little choice. So the fact that I took all my options away and it had to work, I think was the driver that I needed to make it work. I think if I'd waited until I was a star or waited until I had the perfect house or waited until I had the right amount of money in the car, I don't think it would ever have happened. And and were you in, inspired by the success of your sister? I know it's not uh, yeah. quite the same thing, but you know she she had a, a really spectacular breakthrough with with yeah. the white teeth. And uh, some people can be you know resentful of their their siblings. Some people are inspired. I don't. It sounds as though you have a happy relationship all round. But yeah, well, we were we were very very close as as kids, and we're still very very close now. Um, that's never changed. I, I I'm going to be completely honest Clive and say if I was a budding novelist I think I probably would have found it quite hard uh, I think sometimes it's it's uh, if someone close to you is doing the exact thing that you want to do and is wildly more successful I can't believe that you're just totally fine and oh I'm so happy for you <laughs> I think there'll be a bit of that but there's got to be a little bit of resentment with me there was nothing because I never believed I could write a novel funnily enough I have now but you know that's come with age and experience and it's a children's novel it's not for adults you know um so i i looked at it as just amazing from the start and and the fact that it became like a global hit and for a little while there she was maybe the most recognizable author in on the planet um for me it was another little trigger at the perfect time uh, in my life to go have a bash Go and take a risk. You never know, you know. Uh, seeing that book come out and, and all the success around it, then the TV series on Channel 4, and I just thought, no, anything is possible. Like, just just have a go following your dream. And if it doesn't work out, at least you can say you tried and you won't have to be one of those dads who hates their kids because they feel like, <laughs> oh, yeah, if it wasn't for you, yes. I would have been this, I would have been that, you know. Anyway, but you're doing different things. So you're more like the Attenboroughs. You're David and Richard Attenborough pursuing different Exactly. Uh, I'm careers. Dickie, definitely. Successful. I'm Dickie and you're she's Dickie. David. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We started with a thing that was really interesting. We, like, when they were really young, we did a thing called the circle of safety, mm. right? So within the circle of safety, the kids are allowed to say anything that they want they can tell us anything that they did and they can cleanse it all out and they don't get in trouble, right? So, so there's no you stand So we circle? stand in a circle and we call a circle of safety and everybody gets to say a curse word so they know we in the circle of safety. And then we say, all right, now everybody, anything that anybody did, get it out now. Um, as a father, you do not want a circle of safety with a 15-year-old daughter. <laughs> No. You do not. No, no. You do not. I'm like, baby, you need to start lying. <laughs> well, look, we've got one more. Uh, everything's been so pleasant. Your wonders so far, so lovely. So uh, all unfolding. But I think you're spoiling it possibly with your last wonder. I think I am as well. So your yeah, seventh wonder. Yeah, my, my seventh wonder is is The Sopranos, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the TV, the HBO TV series, which just feels like nowhere near as profound as these other things. Well, it's not that it's not profound. I mean, it's, it was a groundbreaking series. It set off, you know, it started that whole box set thing. But but it's about oh, it's family life, but it's... Uh, 
Well, you, you you explain what what it is and yeah. why. Yeah, I mean, like it. most people know this show, but if you don't, it's it's a crime drama, I suppose, on the surface uh, uh, about a, a, a mafioso, a family in um, New Jersey. But it's two sides of the family, so you see the crime family of the patriarch Tony Soprano, but also his actual family, his two teenage children and his wife. Um, and the tension between the two and, and all the inherited trauma that he has from his mom and his, his, his parents and grandparents. And um, it is incredibly dark and wildly funny um, and intensely troubling and disturbing at times. Um, and I, I'm, I'm halfway through The Sopranos right now uh what's really important rewatching it i suppose for, yeah what's yeah. really important is i watched it the first time around when it was on channel four i watched it waiting week by week i watched the entire thing um me and my wife watched it all and got obsessed with it and i haven't watched it since then now bear in mind this was me and my wife when we were boyfriend and girlfriend we'd you know sit up in bed watching like five episodes probably drinking cider or something like that you know um so it was in a time where we didn't have any other concerns other than Cider and the Sopranos. Um, and to watch it again now, as a father of teenagers, I've, I am finding it almost jaw-droppingly profound at times. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I, and does it stand up, you know, in terms of production values? And- oh my God, it hasn't aged a day. That's the thing that really shocked me. It hasn't aged a day. And, and, and yet nothing like The Sopranos existed before The Sopranos. And I, I started thinking every show that, that they make now, every sort of epic series that they make for Netflix or Amazon or a, a, indeed HBO, you know, so, so, so many of them, just almost all of them owe a debt to this show. I mean, it, it, it changed television. But from, you know, that parenting point of view, it's, it's been so strange re-watching it. Uh, and I think the young, the young Ben young doc brown i used to watch the sopranos you know like oh look those naked uh women the strippers look oh look at that violence oh did you see the way he gun butted that guy oh it's so funny like how they make a joke after killing somebody you know i, I was entertained by the entertaining things in it but in a much more puerile way now watching it again i'm so taken almost to tears with what he's dealing with tony at at home and why he's dealing with it you know the the relationship with him and his mother him and his uncle his memories of his father his inability to uh live without drama you know his self-destructiveness his uh desire to do everything that's right by his by his children and yet make fundamental dangerous mistakes mistakes that put his children in danger their lives in danger you know it's like a really extreme uh uh reflection of being a normal dad basically we worry about all these we we want to keep our children safe and putting them in danger is the scariest thing for us and yet we are selfish we we will put ourselves first because we're human beings um and that constant push and pull every dad has that um and the sopranos is like the extreme version of it so when those when that is tapped into in the show which is most of every episode i'm moved almost to tears at times 
I, I find it incredibly profound. And I'm I'm loving rewatching it. It's it's a totally different level rewatching it now. Well, that's interesting. There is the that sort of human and family aspect that you uh, now can latch onto. Uh, but it's it's odd the amount of crime that that we like to watch in its various different forms, whether it's you know Goodfellas and films, TV series, whodunits, police procedurals. We're just drawn again and again to to violence and crime. I mean, so you're you're a family. Family drama that's built round farming, that's the archers. But a family drama <laughs> built round crime, it's a mass audience for worldwide. Do you remember what I was saying right at the start of our conversation, Clive, about how freeing I found it to play a villain? Yes. Um, and I wonder if there's something in every human being that just thinks, what if I'm just an asshole for the day? You know, <laughs> I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just not gonna be polite today. I think there's a little bit of that in all of us, and I think that's partly the reason that we're drawn to crime as a dr- dramatic uh, uh, conceit because it's like, oh, what if there's no rules? You know, what if? And I think that's a that's a big deal for for human beings. Are you in the mafia? Am I in the what? Whatever you want to call it, organized crime. That's total crap. Who told you that? Dad, I've lived in the house all my life. I've seen police come with warrants. I've seen you going out at three in the morning. So you never seen Doc Cusimano go out at three in the morning on a call? Did the Cusimano kids ever find $50,000 in Krugerrands and a 45 automatic while they were hunting for Easter eggs? I'm in a waste management business. Everybody immediately assumes you're mobbed up. It's a stereotype, and it's offensive. And you're the last person I would want to perpetuate it. Fine. So, look, Ben, thank you very much for for joining me and giving us a a very interesting uh, overview of your seven wonders. I suspect if I contacted you again in a year's time, you'd have some wonders would remain, but you'd have five or six different ones as well. Um, uh, Certainly a picture (laughs) of you has emerged. I have to select a... A wonder of wonders from oh, your right. list. Okay, that's a, that's great. A, we've imposed ourselves, and there's plenty to choose from here. But I think I would be, I think it'd be uh, inappropriate to select anything other than uh, my dad, your dad, uh, as the your wonder. You started with that, and uh, because that was such a, a a tale to tell about his life and you coming into the world as a result of him meeting your mother. So it includes your mother as well as your father. Uh, nice. I'll, I'll make that. Uh, my wonder of your wonders today. So Ben Bailey-Smith, Doc Brown, uh, thank you very much for letting us into the secrets of your wonders of the world. Cheers, Clive. And I'll I'll see you hopefully when this is all over (laughs) at at the Emirates or at Selhurst Park. We'll enjoy a little mid-table, meaningless clash. Assuming we're both (laughs) still in the Premier League. This is a Stakhanov production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the ACAST Creator Network. Hi. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.